Turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 16, doing something a little bit different today. I have been preaching, or I have begun a series on the parables, and ordinarily that would be in uh, the 1130 service, uh, but I am uh, focusing this Sunday on kind of a vision uh, for our congregation, uh, that which has uh, got us to uh, begin 20 years ago. We're coming up on our 20th anniversary, so it's an appropriate time to be reminded of that as well, and that'll be the 1130 service. But not wanting to forsake an exposition of the parables, uh, we're going to look at it in this service. In Luke 16, there are two uh, parables found, and uh, more to say about that in a moment. Read the entirety of Luke 16 with me, if you would. <clears throat> he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses." So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, About how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and the one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God." The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman <coughs> divorced from her husband also commits adultery. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, armed with, uh, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, 
remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is confined, comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Four points to the sermon this morning. First of all, the structure uh, in this passage. Secondly, the subject which unifies this passage. Thirdly, a survey, and fourthly, uh, a scrutiny or scrutinize. Much better. Very good. All right. There are a number of barometers given in Scripture by which spirituality and one's heart condition um, is measured. Uh, One of them is money. How you spend your money is an index or a barometer of your heart. So I ask you this morning, how is your heart? How is your spiritual condition? The answer to that question is how you spend your money. So consider with me first the structure, all right? Jesus, uh, in the parables, as we have noted in past parables, is sifting and sorting amongst the people of Israel, all right? Obviously, we know that he came to his own and his own received him not, but there are those who follow him, as we read in this passage, who became disciples. And the parables sort and sift amongst his hearers. Who are those who are going to be following him in faith, and who are those who are going to be rejecting him, as we read, in ridicule, all right? And here, Jesus is addressing those two kinds of people, all right? Those who are accepting, look at verse 1 in chapter 16. He said to the disciples, all right? And those who are uh, uh, rejecting, uh, and that is exemplified by the Pharisees uh, in verse 14. Now, this is continuing a pattern that is seen previously, so let's just establish the context. If you look back at chapter 15, all right, we see the same two parties, the same two subjects, the same two groups of people. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, all right, and the other group, the Pharisees and the scribes, grumbled at what he had to say. They are One is accepting him, hearing him, the others are rejecting and not listening to him, all right? You can see this also in chapter 17, important to establish the structure here. Verse 1, he said to his disciples, and then you get down to verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees, the other group of people, all right? Same thing in chapter 18, if you go on, all right? 18, verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart, contrasted with what we see in verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So the parables, as we've seen, are parables of grace and parables of judgment. And they are instruments in Jesus' hands to sort and to sift 
amongst his hearers, those who will accept him and those who will reject him, right? So we see that very clearly here. So here then we have two different parables told for two different audiences with two different purposes. Look at verse 1, all right? To those who are accepting, those who are hearing, those who are receiving, alternately those who are believing in Jesus, right? He speaks to his disciples, right? He gives them instruction about money, all right? And uses the parable of the shrewd manager to communicate that point. But verse 14 and following is the other group. Those who are rejecting, those who are uh, disregarding, those who are disobeying, right? They were lovers of money. To them, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is taught not as instruction, but as a warning about the deceitfulness of riches. So you get the structure, all right? Two groups of people. Sustained throughout, sorting, sifting, right? On the one hand, to those who accept, believe, follow, hear, he's giving instruction about money, all right? On the other hand, to those who are rejecting him, he gives a warning about money. And that brings us to the second point, the subject, all right? Though there are two different audiences, there's only one subject, and that is money. Now, money is a subject which people in church don't often like preached on because people think the pastor's stepping on their toes. For years, we never preached about money here. We didn't even take an offering. I think for our first, um, oh, Eddie, how long was it? Maybe, maybe 13 years, 15 years, roughly. We didn't even take an offering because so many churches harp on money, 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 money. We did not want to be known as one of those uh, churches, all right? But Jesus actually talks about money three times more than he talks about love. It's perhaps the most taught on subject in his itinerant ministry is money. So if Jesus taught about it, we need to hear it, all right? And uh, look at verse 9 in our text, all right? Uh, Verse 16, all right? Um, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. God's people should be alert to make use of what God has given them, all right? As opposed to uh, the Pharisees in verse 14 and following, all right? So Pharisees gave money, you'll recall, elsewhere we see that. Uh, They were charitable, but it was not from their hearts, all right? Why? Because their hearts loved money. And let's be very clear at the outset. When Paul teaches about money, he says, it is not money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Very important to note that difference, right? Because sin does not reside in things. Sin does not reside in money. Sin resides in the human heart, and it's the love of money that Jesus is warning about here, all right? The Pharisees gave, they were charitable, but it was not from their heart, uh, which God sees. They gave only to be seen by men. And they are the ones that are warned uh, in verse 19 in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. All right? So let's do a quick survey here. All right? Very quick for our purposes this morning. What does the Bible teach about money? All right? Well, look at just a couple of passages with me, if you would. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. Proverbs chapter 10. We'll look at two in Proverbs, 
and one in the law, one in the New Testament. Proverbs 10, verse 22. Particularly with respect to the context in Luke 16. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Far too many Christians, particularly on the left side of the theological spectrum today, um, say that God is on the side of the poor and God is against uh, the rich. God is against uh, capitalism, for example, one thing or the other. And we have to get rid of all this emphasis uh, on money and riches because God is really on. Well, God does not show partiality. God is not on the side of the rich. God is not on the side of the poor. And what we have here is that riches are a result of the blessing of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, you don't have to turn there, we have blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. This is very important for understanding what Jesus is teaching in Luke 16, all right? That is that God says he will prosper materially, all right, monetarily, financially, he will bless his people for their obedience and their adherence to his law, to following him faithfully, to loving him, and to following his word. In Deuteronomy 28, God says he will materially prosper and bless his people, just as we read here in Proverbs chapter 10. Look also Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. With respect to the poor, all right? Why? Because we have Lazarus, a poor man, in Luke 16. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Look at, in the New Testament at James chapter 1, a very interesting passage. We don't have time to exhaustively consider it this morning. James chapter 1, verse 27 chapter. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There were four categories of people that God had particular concern for, and that concern was woven into the very fabric of his law in the Old Testament. One was the poor, all right, and we would have to take some time to establish who are the poor, because Proverbs and other passages of the Bible makes a distinction between the deserving poor, those who would work if only they could, and the undeserving poor, those who could work if only they would. All right? Those are called sluggards in the Bible. So there's a difference when we have to make these distinctions according to the Word of God. All right? So the poor, and then there was the widow, and the widow was a particular concern to God, uh, as was the orphan, because they didn't have a head. That is, they didn't have a protector and a provider for them. They didn't have a father. They didn't have a husband. And in biblical times, of course, there was no social welfare safety net. Okay? There were no insurance policies. All right? You were dependent upon a head, a father, or a, uh, uh, or, 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 uh, excuse me, a father or a husband in order to provide for you and take care of you. So a widow and an orphan and the poor, God had particular concern for. And the fourth category was the alien, all right? And we're going to look at this more in the 1130 service. The stranger. And why was that? Because God said, you should have concern for the alien and the stranger because you were aliens and strangers and I had mercy on you. 
So as I had mercy on you, you should have mercy on those that are like you, that are strangers and aliens. And here we read about God's concern for the poor. And James says, all right, uh, that this is religion that is pure and undefiled, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. God had particular concern for these categories of people. But riches, particularly for our point this morning, were seen as the blessing of the Lord. They were seen as, even in Deuteronomy 8, God says he will confirm his covenant with his people by materially, financially prospering his people. Now, this is the shade of truth that health, wealth, and prosperity teachers latch onto to promote their, uh, their unbiblical thinking and practices, all right? That God wants every Christian rich, God wants every Christian healthy, God doesn't want any uh, child of God uh, to be poor or to go wanting or to be sick, all right? That's not true. But the kernel of truth that they latch on to is, is this, all right, is that riches are a blessing of the Lord. God actually confirms his covenant by doing that. You could look that up in Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 28. We'll see why that's important for our text, all right? <clears throat> Job, Abraham, Solomon, many others were rich and righteous. To be rich is not a bad thing, all right? So, <clears throat> but in our text, Luke 16, all right, that's why, uh, I turned to the wrong passage, Luke 16, if you turn there, that's why what we see in the story of the rich man and Lazarus is such a shock. And to us, perhaps because of our familiarity with it, it's not shocking. But to any Jew who would be reading this, it would have been absolutely shocking. The rich man goes to hell. Now, if you're thinking Deuteronomy, if you're thinking Proverbs, if you're thinking Deuteronomy 8, you're saying, rich man, material prosperity, financial prosperity, blessing of the Lord, God confirms his covenant. Boy, the rich man is in, in tight with God. He's just like this. Jesus says, no, the rich man goes to hell. The poor man, Lazarus, by contrast, all right, the one without the blessing of the Lord, the one whom God has not materially, financially prospered, the one who has not had God's covenant confirmed, he goes to Abraham's bosom. What? What? The Jew who would be hearing this would say, this is all messed up. All right? Well, what's the point? The point is that money is not an end in itself, but it's a means to an end. And the Pharisees loved money, but they did not love it for the reasons for which God had given it, all right? Um, and the righteous rich use money, all right, to show God's concern for the poor and uh, therefore and to ex ex extend generosity to others, all right? And here's the point coming back to the introduction. How you use money is an indication of where your heart is at. How you spend your money is an indication of your spirituality. When you get your credit card statement, when you balance your checkbook, you can actually have a tangible, visible expression of where God places in your spiritual life. How do you spend your money? All right? More on that momentarily. All right? Why is the rich man in hell? Because he disregarded God's word, all right, to love God and to love his neighbor, all right? He didn't 
love God. He didn't love Lazarus. Look at the text. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Every time the rich man would go in and out of his house, Lazarus would be there. And he did nothing for him. All right? So he didn't use his wealth for others. He had no concern for the poor. He was exhibiting his own poor spiritual condition. Which brings us, all right, to our last point. Let's uh, scrutinize what we're taught here, all right? If you look at verse 1, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him. This man was wasting his possessions. This is the mo- probably the most controversial parable um, in the New Testament, all right? Because, look at verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. It appears this crooked manager, all right, is commended by Jesus. Well, he's not commended for his crookedness, but he's commended for his use of money, his shrewdness, all right? But who are the disciples? Look back at verse 1. Who are the disciples that Jesus is speaking to? Well, look back at chapter 15, verse 1, to see, all right? Chapter 14 ends with these words, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And remember, the chapter and verse breaks were not there when Luke wrote this, right? What's verse 1 of chapter 15? Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. To him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Who's hearing? Who's heeding? It's the tax collectors and sinners. So who are the disciples when we get to chapter 16? It's the tax collectors and the sinners. You with me? All right. Now, if you know anything about tax collectors in the New Testament, you know they were crooks, right? And as crooks, they were very wealthy people, all right? They had lots of money. And in verse 9 of chapter 16, Jesus tells them to use their money to serve God. Make friend for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Look at verses 10 and 11. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Right? And verse 12, you see the reversal. And if you have not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? All right? Only stewards now of God's money. All right? In heaven are the real riches. So how does verse 16 fit in here? Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, we said, verse 14, right? Who thinks that the law supports them. They think they're in with God. They think they're adhering to the teaching of Moses. They think they're following what the law had to say. All right? So Jesus is addressing them. They think that they're on the right side of the law, if you will, but they're outside. They're not inside, right? And they think, although they think Moses is with them, Jesus corrects them. And when you get down to verse uh, 18 on marriage, Jesus is using... Here we have a parable on a shrewd manager. We get to uh, verse... Uh, 19, we have the rich man and Lazarus, and we have this one verse on divorce and remarriage. Where did this come from? What's this doing in here? 
Well, we know what Jesus had to teach about this from Matthew 19 and other passages. Paul elaborates on it also in 1 Corinthians, right? But what is this doing here? Because Jesus is showing them they're not on the right side of the law. They've misunderstood the law, and they're using it for their own wrong purposes. And he's teaching them how wrong they are. And then when we get to verse 19, we have this shocking reversal. The name for Lazarus in the text means whom God helps. God does not help the rich man. He's not even named. Lazarus, the poor man, is the one whom God helps. All right? And verse 22, we see that Lazarus is taken from the lowest place on earth to the highest place in heaven. He's taken to Abraham's side. If you look at the footnote reference, it's Abraham's bosom. All right? It would be like clutching somebody to your chest. The picture, though, is one of somebody incline, inclining at, uh, at banquet. And when people, if you ever see a picture of the disciples and Jesus, or if you ever see a picture from a near, near Eastern country where people incline at table, they incline and they will rest their head on somebody else's chest, a sign of the intimacy of that relationship. That's what's being portrayed here for Lazarus, all right? <clears throat> Look at verse, 20, verse 22, sorry, verse 29, all right, in the text. Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them, right? The point is they have not heard Moses and the prophets. They are not following Moses and the prophets. They are not adhering to Moses and the prophets, all right? <clears throat> and verse 31, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. This is very important, not only for the text and understanding it, all right, uh, but for our contemporary situation as well. What Jesus is saying is they haven't listened to Moses. Though they claim to be on the side of Moses, they're not following what the law taught. They're not concerned for what the law taught. They're outside. And if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even if somebody rises from the dead. Listen, here's the point for our contemporary situation. You can present to somebody all the proof in the world that the Bible is the word of God. I could, if we had time this morning, I could tell you off the top of my head ten reasons why. Indisputable, the Bible is the word of God. I could tell you why Christianity is true. You could present those proofs till the cows come home. But people aren't going to believe. It's not an intellectual problem. It's not that they need their mind to be convinced, although proofs can be useful. The problem is their heart. The problem is their heart. And Jesus says, even if somebody rises from the dead, they won't believe. And that's exactly what happened. You'll remember Jesus rose from the dead, and he went about preaching the kingdom for 40 days, right? And people still didn't believe. And when you talk to people today, you know, Buddha didn't rise from the dead. No other religious figure rose from the dead. Jesus alone is resurrected in a glorified body. He alone is King of kings and Lord of lords. Therefore, you need to turn from your sin. You need to trust in him alone, in whom forgiveness of sins and resurrection life is found. People just mock it, disregard it, and go on with their ways. Because even if somebody rises from the dead, they won't believe. All the proof in the world won't convince a heart that hates God. Jesus said, the light has come into the world, but men love darkness. 
Paul in Romans chapter uh, 8, verse 7 says, uh, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's not make any mistake about that. No evidence will change a hard heart. Well, a couple of points of application, all right? How is your heart this morning? How do you spend your money? Do you tithe? In Malachi chapter 3, those who are not tithing are said to be robbing God. Now, I've, look, I've been a pastor a long time and an elder before that. I can't tell you how many times this said, I've heard it said to me, I can't afford to tithe. When God says you're robbing me, you can't afford not to tithe. Let me tell you a little joke. Be lighthearted, not too heavy here, all right? A $1 bill met a $20 bill and said, hey, where have you been? I haven't seen you around here much. The 20 answered, I've been hanging out at the casinos, went on a cruise, did the rounds on the ship, back to the United States for a while, went to a couple of baseball games, the mall, that kind of stuff. How about you? The $1 bill said, you know, same old stuff, church, church, church. Where's your heart? How's your spiritual condition? How do you spend your money? Use your money to be generous here on earth. Remember that we have been blessed to be a blessing so that, as Jesus teaches here, you have riches in heaven. Thirdly, Simon Kistemacher interesting commentator on scripture said this, the lesson Jesus taught is timeless. It's the abiding rule of listening to God's word obediently and thankfully. Scripture teaches us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. This love ought to be materially expressed in cheerfully giving our gifts to the Lord and to our needy neighbors. And it should be shown spiritually, first by growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and second by reaching, uh, our, teaching our neighbor to know the Lord. The rich are truly rich, he says, if they share their material and spiritual blessings with the needy. Indeed, they are poverty-stricken if they keep these blessings to themselves. Anyone who gathers material wealth selfishly suffers spiritual bankruptcy. Likewise, any church that fails to evangelize dies a spiritual death. You might be asking yourself, where is the gospel in these parables? Well, the gospel is Jesus. The gospel is Jesus who alone rose from the dead. And the question which the parables pose to everyone who hears them is, are you accepting Jesus for who he is, for who he said he is, or are you rejecting him? That question needs to be answered by me, it needs to be answered by you, it needs to be answered by every person who hears That's why Jesus is telling these stories. Are you hearing? Are you heeding? Are you following? Are you trusting? Are you loving Jesus? The issue in the New Testament is Jesus. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus claimed to be the Savior of sinners. Jesus claimed to be the King, 
the one true risen and reigning king. Are you looking to him? Are you trusting in him? Are you following him? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the words of Jesus. We are thankful for their frankness, for their honesty. We are thankful for him who went to the cross and paid the penalty for our disregard of and disobedience to your word. We ask that you would help us to know him, to love him, and to serve him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Amen and amen.